Right, gang? You like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, the Internet, and welcome to Season 280, Episode 2 of Dirty Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, and it is Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. Yesterday was the first day of spring. Forgot to mention that to you yesterday. But yeah, happy first day of spring to all who celebrate. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. But did you know when L.A. snows, my thighs become so white that the light that you shine can't be seen? That is courtesy of Lacaroni. A little reference to L.A. weather. Those happening a couple weeks back and my blindingly pale thighs that I like to talk about on this show. For some reason, uh, I am thrilled to be joined by a very special guest co-host who you know from the podcast This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. Good sport from Ted and Pushkin 3030 or 3430 with ESPN, the 538 Politics podcast way Just back in the going, day where going. I first Go, heard him. It's Joey Evergreen! You want to talk about the stuff I did in college and high school? And I don't know, man. It's where deep. I heard you. It's what, sure where enough. I fell in love. So I have to honor it. I have to Thank honor you. my happy. truth of the Jody Avergan experience. Fair enough. Thank you and happy first day of spring. It does not feel like spring in um, it doesn't. both no. physically and mentally. That it does not feel like you've turned a new leaf and you know? in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, you're in New York. So yeah. especially we're we're talking Stormy Daniels and you know, potential mega protests. Today's, today's lineup, by the way. I mean, yeah. it's your job to introduce it. But gosh, I, I, I was like, okay, well, we'll start heavy. And I was like, um, okay. And I looked at the second topic. I'm like, okay. And then I looked at the third topic. And yeah. you, really, you really lined it up here for folks. We're, that's right. Well, the, the news cycle lined it up <laughs> for enough. us. Fair uh, we are thrilled to be joined by the host and reporter behind the new podcast from KCRW, City of Tents. Veterans Row, which I highly recommend everyone go listen to. She also created KCRW's podcast, Samaritans. The podcasting talent we have on the show today, folks, it's it's intimidating. Get ready. Hold on to your butts. It's Anna Scott! Thank you. Thank you. I love that. That's like a, my WWE uh, That's intro. right. We I try like and it. bring a lot of WWE energy <laughs> to the news cycle because there's yeah. not enough of it with our former WWE wrestler, ex-president, you know? it's <laughs> We like to keep it live. How's everybody doing? How, how are you guys doing? How, okay. How's spring treating you so far? Well, it does not feel like spring in Los Angeles. It is no, it's it's cloudy, bit, it's wet, yeah. and like I know the 
the wet is good for our climate. We need the rain, et cetera, but I'm over it. I'm really over it. Yeah, I feel you. All right. Well, Anna, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of things we're talking about today. We are going to talk about City of Tents, Veterans Row, and just the issue of homelessness in America that you do a lot of reporting on and just kind of get your thoughts and insights because you have a lot of really interesting things to say in the show and just across media. So we will talk about that. We will talk about Trump's announcing his arrest on today it's supposed to happen and you know he has called for protests those the response seems to be somewhat muted but it feels a little strange to be like you know prognosticating how people are going to react but that's what we're going to do for a little bit today so we'll talk about that. Uh, there's conspiracy theorists, dating sites. See what I see? What I was saying? When yeah, I was we, about might, the we might skip down to the new rules for social etiquette, <laughs> which is something that I like to throw to when things get a little too dreary. All of that, plenty more. But first, Anna, we do like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history that's revealing about who you are? Well, yeah. So I looked. I looked at my phone, and the most recent one last night. I think this is telling enough. So I decided last night to rewatch the old movie, Sid and Nancy. Okay. Old classic. Um, I hadn't seen it for a long time. And, and then it, I, so I searched Alex Cox dead because it, watching the movie made me curious about the director and I'm kind of morbid. I don't know. My first question was whether the director, Alex Cox is still alive or not. So um <laughs> and you you had a guess it sounds like you were like watching you're like this the the vision on on screen here this person can't be alive. This I mean <laughs> the movie came out in 1986 so I just thought right. I, he's probably dead no, but in fact he's here. he is not and he's actually not really even that old he's in his 60s but the search did turn up a big rabbit hole that uh, I guess there is a Netflix true crime documentary that has someone in it named Alex Cox who is in fact dead mm. and also maybe murdered someone. So that that led me down a whole rabbit hole. Uh-oh. And I may have to watch that documentary now, in addition yeah. to Sid and Nancy. Well, this story is bringing up a very interesting question for me, which is you referred to this as an old movie, 1986. I mean, you know, I wasn't aware of Sid and Nancy when it came out in 1986, but I'm curious what the line is for referring to something as an old movie. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, 30 years. Yeah, I'd say I know. 30 years. It's just right on the threshold about, right? Yeah, like, right. But it, yeah, that, that was what I was thinking. It's like somewhere right in there. You're right. You may have pinned it. Like, like it may be that 1986 is the year that you can, you know. <laughs> if this yeah, movie had I come mean, out in 1987, would you have called it an old movie? Mm, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. I feel like 86 is, yeah, I don't know. Something about the mid 80s seems like a good dividing line. So when my 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 son was born in 2016, so that exactly 30 years after the Sid and, Sid and Nancy came out. So it like the movie that was 30 years old when I was born are were came out in 1950 and there are things such as Destination Moon, <laughs> a sci-fi <laughs> film where they're like, what if we made it to the moon? And then mm-hmm. You know, it was made of cheese or what. I don't know what they what their thesis was at the time, but it's very old <laughs> by comparison <laughs> that those those movies were extremely old as far as I can tell. There are much older movies. I like that you went to Destination Moon and not, you know, Sunset Boulevard or All About Eve. Oh, yeah. Or, or good or movie all the other for... movies that came out in 1950. <laughs> those yeah, are timeless Moon, classics. Though. Those yeah, are cla- timeless classics. I was, was trying to make a point that yes. we're all very old. Yeah. <laughs> but time yeah. is slowing down or compressing in this weird way. I mean, it really yes. is. Like cult- cultural time is like skewing for sure. Yes, for sure. Now I'm just going to be asking you questions, but actually Googling the plot for Destination Moon in the background. But, <laughs> you know, after their latest rocket fails, no, I won't read, just read you the IMDb summary of Destination Moon. But how did how did Sid and Nancy hold up? Um, well, I fell asleep after about 20 minutes because I ambled. So I have to, uh, I've got to finish it. But so far, so good. Um, it's, uh, I, I don't know what, I don't know why this movie came to mind as just something I'd like to rewatch. But it's, 
I think it's a very it's a very good movie about being on drugs. Yeah. It, I was going to say it's very appropriate that you nodded off during Sid and Nancy. Indeed, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I nodded off totally sober, but... Um, right. But nonetheless, still appropriate reaction. Uh, very young Gary Oldman in this movie as Sid Vicious, which wow. is uh, it's kind of interesting to see. Haven't seen a y- very young Gary Oldman for a while. Also, Courtney Love has a small part in the movie, which I'd Does forgotten really? about. Mm-hmm. She is, I don't know if she comes back, I can't remember, but she's, she's in it early on. In one of the first scenes, she's, she has a brief crying scene because the the movie opens with discovering the body of Nancy and, you know, this, I don't know, I don't know if people know this movie. It's about the uh, sex pistols, (laughs) pistols, but basically, yeah, the the doomed romance, yes, Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen. So it, it kind of starts at the end and then backtracks. And so Courtney Love is briefly in the beginning sobbing and uh, saying something like she was a really nice person, kind of chewing the scenery in her 15 second appearance. I did not know she was like an established movie actor when she came on the scene and like met Kurt Cobain and all that stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so far, so good. What is, uh, what's something you think is overrated? Bacon. 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 Overrated. 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 I don't get it. Never liked it. Don't like it. Don't understand the fuss. There mm. have to be other people like me out there. There's, there has to be. And when you say this, people immediately are like, you've just never had good bacon, right? Yes. That's, yeah, that's the immediate Or they response. think I'm being contrarian on purpose. Like I've chosen something that, you know, just because it's so great and wonderful, but I'm not. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't like it. I don't think how it's did that great. You, how did you hold up during the bacon craze of the, was that like the mid 2000s or something when there was just bacon flavored everything? everywhere i just i just tuned it out i just it i mean i there must be other people like me right uh yeah yeah i can't imagine you're the only person on earth who has this opinion for me (laughs) someone who enjoys bacon (laughs) feels like it sometimes a lot of the time like i enjoy i don't enjoy all bacon i don't think bacon is like unfuck upable it's very hit or miss Mm -hmm. but like at when it's really done to my liking, I, re- I really enjoy it. But I prefer Super Producer Becca came in the chat to say sausage over bacon. I think that is generally true in terms of like sausage is pretty easy to prepare. and Replacement it's level to, sausage. Yeah, replacement level sausage versus bacon. Also, I don't feel good like cleaning up bacon after the fact i'm like well people who don't like bacon are correct this is gross like this is <laughs> this is not something that yeah. was meant to be consumed by humans and of it's, all the breakfast foods to freak out over i just feel like there are so many better ones take a pancake waffle scrambled eggs i mean almost anything over mm, bacon mm, there's yeah. so many wonderful breakfast foods i just i don't get it yeah so you go sweet over savory generally at breakfast? I guess so. I guess I am more of a sweet tooth person than a salty tooth person. Mm-hmm. So maybe that oh. is a that is a factor here. All right. We're learning. These are all, these are all salty data points. Teeth. You know? I like that though. I'm a salty tooth. A real salty <laughs> tooth. <laughs> tooth. <laughs> Sounds like a like an old sailor or like a old sea captain. Thing, yeah. Which is maybe why it didn't take off the way sweet yeah. tooth did. Super producer Bay coming in saying Canadian bacon better which is certainly an opinion. I have never like gotten on board, but I probably haven't had good enough Canadian bacon. And it's all it's definitely falls into that same category of like it always seems like it's about the same as opposed Would to Would you call the movie Canadian Bacon an old movie? Oh yeah. Yeah. That is from 1995. We yeah. think we have to move our line. 95. So 28 really? years. It's now coming you're it's talking bordering on an old, old movie. movie. Yeah. All right. It's, All right. Data point. It's aged. Yeah. What is something you think is underrated, Anna? Baths. Baths. Now, baths. I mean, a lot of people like taking baths, baths. but but I just think, I, I don't think we talk about baths enough and how great they are. Probably my favorite kind of indulgent thing to do is take a bath in the middle of the day if I have time. 
I mean, I have a, a young child and during the work week, that's usually not possible. But if I find myself with a pocket of time during the day when I'm alone in the house and I can take a bath while the sun is still out and it's midday, I mean, mm. it's like, it's amazing. I feel like we should talk about it more. And you can do so many things to your bath. You can put bath salts in there, bubbles. Right. Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> ducks, bath beads, like Live make ducks, it smell good. It's like, yeah. it's like going to a spa, but, uh, but you know, you don't have to pay any money and you don't have to leave your house. I, I experienced a bit of a bath renaissance when I had a kid as well, just because, you know, you remember, oh, baths, right. Did, is that what happened for you? You feel like I think young kid that is brought him part back of it. into your life? It's both the ritual of giving him a bath, you know, every day or every other day that kind of reminded me of baths and also of Mr. Bubble, which I mm-hmm. advocate for as well. And then also, I think just having an uninterrupted block of time alone is also at a high premium after having a kid. So that's probably part of it as well. I I think baths are for people who aren't me because I, I like, I feel like I'm <laughs> steeping in my filth, like a tea bag. Well, this like, is the bath conundrum. Take a shower this, first. Yeah. What's the end? Okay. Game? Shower before bath is something. A shower I before bath. Okay. Oh, now, now we're talking. That does make sense because like yeah, rinse, I just like, there's a little soak. See, I've yeah. always solved this by going shower after bath. Interesting. Okay. You, so you, yeah. But then you're still steeping in your own filth for a little bit. The shower before bath had never occurred to me. Just a quick never. rinse, you know, because no, then like also it. you don't have to kind of, I feel like taking a shower right after a bath kind of washes away the bath glow. I just want to get mm-hmm. out of the bath and chill. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Putting a little oils in there. Yeah. It's just, it's just the bubble bath. I need the skim of bubbles to not see below the surface what's happening down there when I'm in a bathtub. Personally, that's okay. just how I feel. Well, we this is this is a callback to the thighs thing that you. The <laughs> they're they're distracting. I'll say they're, it's pretty distracting. My eyes can't see the light that you shine. I for, the the lyrics to "Kiss by a Rose" are really kind of they seem like a daydream that someone like someone trying to write a lyric as they're <laughs> falling asleep it's very strange anyways all right well i feel like we've gotten to know you a little bit better let's take a quick break and we'll be right back is that gang customers are rushing to your store but do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it you know like a literal pos Well, you need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Connect with customers inline and online. Look, you want to use TikTok? Well, guess what? They have plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns on platforms just like that. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system. Or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Now, I was looking at Shopify.com, and I'm trying to get some answers. Let's say, uh, you know, had a bustling retail business, and I need, you know, maybe uh, some hardware to be able to sell my wares on the street, take credit card payments, whatever. And I know Shopify is easy to use. Half the time I buy something online, I'm like, oh, yep, they're using Shopify. And if you need to learn more, check out their website. It's super easy to navigate whether you have questions about how you can optimize your inventory or, again, looking for hardware to make sales easier. Shopify.com has all of that. Just go there. Check it out. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash TDZ, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash TDZ to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash TDZ. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And we're back. And and I wanted to talk about City of Tents, Veterans Row, which is a series that you have been reporting out. So so you, you start the season off talking about, like, you, you say that homelessness is an issue, that the more you've reported on it, the less kind of inured to it you become, the more, like, kind of outraged you feel. And you also say it's a problem that you feel like we could solve if we really wanted to. Can mm-hmm. you can you talk a little bit about like just that that feeling that you get from, you know, knowing more and more about about the homelessness crisis in in America and you know what where that kind of outrage comes from? Yeah, you know, I think that there is a certain amount of numbing out that happens almost as a defense mechanism when you live in a city like Los Angeles where where I live and homeless, the homelessness crisis is so visible every day. There's encampments under just about every freeway overpass parks. So I think a lot of people, I mean, the nice way to put it is, you know, you is you get desensitized, right? It it becomes part of the landscape probably as a necessity because otherwise you would be upset all the time. I think the not so nice way to put it is there's a lot of dehumanizing that goes on. I think unhoused people are really, I mean, one group of people that a lot of folks seem to feel very comfortable generalizing about and saying some pretty horrendous things about just in casual company and uh, which and and so, you know, a lot of my time is spent talking to people who are experiencing homelessness because they're the most affected by the crisis. And so I think naturally that just chips away at that layer, you know that might otherwise develop. And, you know, you, you get to know people on an individual level, you see how close a lot of us could, you know, are to, to becoming unhoused. And, um, so that's why I say early on in the series, just the more I cover it, the more sensitized, uh, that's even a word I feel to it. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's outrage because I also get an up close look at a lot of the systemic failures behind the crisis, but it's also sad and upsetting. And, um, yeah, all those things, all those things it's, you know, it's, it is a humanitarian crisis that's unfolding in a lot of our big cities. And, and I guess when you are really plugged into it and talking to people experiencing it all the time, it's, it's just hard to, hard to backtrack and just kind of, Oh yeah, like accepted as as a regular part of the landscape. But I also do say in the first episode that it's not an intractable problem and there yeah. are solutions. I don't want people to feel hopeless about it because I mean it's it can be complicated on a one-on-one level, right? When you talk to individuals and get to know their stories and all the factors that might have led someone to falling out of the housing market. But really, you know, there there are a lot of things that work and we've seen them in one of the reasons with this podcast, actually, that I focused on unhoused veterans specifically, is that they've been an interesting case study in recent years and recent decades in this country about what works. Veterans are generally more politically popular as a group of people than non-veterans. Right. So they've gotten more assistance and and it's worked. And as the series unfolds, we, we unpack what that assistance is and we look at you know how these things could be applied to non-veterans as well. But yeah, I, I mean, I can go as far into the weeds as you want sure. or stay as yeah. big picture as you want. But no. basically, there are things that we know work. There are big common, you know, 
drivers of this crisis that we can address. But that doesn't mean they're easy to do, that these solutions are easy. Um, you know, they require a lot of resources, in some cases, a whole new social contract. So I don't want to minimize that. But sure. it's not like this is a mystery. This is an issue we've been dealing with for decades in this country that's been studied a lot. And there's a ton of research about it. And yeah, so we do know what the causes are and, and what the solutions are. Just that big picture, like American reaction to, and I, it's probably other country, other Western countries too, but the reaction of wanting to dehumanize and it, it also reminds me of a thing we run into where like billionaires are more popular than they should be with, with the people who they spend a lot of time, whose lives they spend a lot of time like making worse. It's like this American thing where we want everyone to be getting what they deserve at, at some level. And so they're like, they want to blame homeless pe people who are, you know, suffering from homelessness for their situation and, you know, also give billionaires credit for their circumstances. And it's, I don't know, I don't know how we get out of that because it go it runs deep, it feels like. But I think talking to and like hearing reporting where you're actually speaking to these human beings and hearing their stories and, you know, that they are here because of like something that they sacrificed and like gave to the country is is a pretty powerful way to do it, I guess. Thanks. Yeah, I, that is, I mean, another another reason that this story was interesting is because it does focus on a group of unhoused veterans and it definitely, I'm always looking for ways because as a reporter, I don't, I don't want to write policy prescriptions or get into that territory. I can certainly talk about policies that have worked in certain instances or case studies or research, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not going to advocate for, oh, this is, you know, specifically exactly what we should do. I'm going to present you with what we know and, you know, what, what has worked before. But, but something that I do try to do pretty actively is just pierce that numbness a little bit and hopefully present the issue to people with as with a fresh lens so that and veterans were an interesting way to do that because there is a kind of general goodwill that Americans have for people who have done military service just kind of by and large and so I think that in some ways expanded the audience of people that would be receptive to hearing it and just automatically humanize the people at the center of it for for some folks I mean you know I think I don't know, for better or worse, that that is just true. And then also, I'm always trying to find ways to break the conversation out of super partisan political lenses, because this issue, especially in a place like LA, where it's a real top issue for people, it's become so political. And the way people talk about it, it's so binary. And, and a lot of people just have these preconceived ideas. And it's very hard to break through that. So I'm always looking for ways. And again, with veterans, it was, an, it was an opportunity to break through some of that because the politics just got all turned upside down because of the military angle. So uh, on that point, I mean, I take your point about how uh, veterans are an entry point for a lot of people because people tend to want to support them. But the flip side of that is, you know, that talking about veterans and talking about supporting our troops is just so is used so cynically by politicians, you know, on both sides. And the GOP loves to talk about supporting our troops and then very rarely backs it up with supporting veterans and d Democrats don't seem to be doing that much better. I'm just curious, like, do the people, do the people that you talk to that you got to know, do they feel connected to that sniping back and forth at the political level? Does it matter to them whether a Democrat is president or Republican is president and how they've talked about supporting our troops? Well, the story that, that I follow over this series, it focused, it focuses on one encampment that was on a street in LA for, for more than a year. And at any given time, there were as many as well, almost 50 people living there, pretty much all military veterans. And so they themselves were, were really mixed bag in terms of their, their backgrounds, their own political beliefs, you know, how much they were following national politics that it, it was, it was all over the place. It was really hard to generalize the issues that they were dealing with, you know, the kind of service they'd done. I mean, it was, it was all over the map. It, 
what was interesting about this encampment, which was nicknamed Veteran Row, I mean, one of many things that was interesting was how it, it attracted a lot of people who I've never seen at any other encampment hmm. in Los Angeles. And there are many large encampments around LA and, and different ones that have become flashpoints at different points in time, which this one eventually did as well. But it also drew a crowd that was really unusual. People, I mean, people had political rallies there, different candidates running for office, um, like back when there was a recall effort to try to recall Governor Gavin Newsom. There were people who wanted to replace him who had events there that they would broadcast on YouTube. There were, you know, usually kind of fringy candidates, to be honest, but um, they, they threw barbecues. There were people always showing up to do different kinds of events. There were always people coming with cameras and making documentaries and doing all sorts of projects like that, specifically hmm. because of because it was veterans there was yeah yeah, a walmart commercial was filming there one day or at least that's what the crew told me i have searched for this walmart commercial online to see if it ever saw the light of day and i haven't found it but but yeah early on in the series you hear a crew there shooting what they say is a a walmart a documentary style walmart commercial so walmart is a filmmaker i should just say they're very they're like kubrick they will do take after take until they can get it right. So that's why it might not have come out. Walmart is a very exacting filmmaker. Still um, be. Yeah. Yes, perfecting that. But <laughs> that was one of the things that drew me to it. And, you know, in the middle of it all, you had these dozens of unhoused military veterans who were kind of in a, being used as a backdrop, backdrop yeah. a lot of the time. And, you know, they themselves, I mean, they were more concerned day to day with trying to get into housing where you know where's the next meal going to come from you know they generally speaking they really did not want the encampment to be known as a political partisan place they didn't really want to be affiliated with you know any particular candidate or party or anything like that but but a lot of people showed up there genuinely trying to help but also promoting themselves in different ways and i found that really interesting yeah it's you talk about the barbecues. It is like there is this community that's happening there. And you even speak to one of the veterans who lives there and is like, I wouldn't want to necessarily be in an apartment by myself. Like there's really seems like the, the having other people around and like having this community that has kind of come together. They have a dress code kind of they have like a homeowners association type rule about like having your flag facing a certain way but like yeah it's i don't know comparing it to so just to for people who aren't familiar with brentwood brentwood is like you know the super wealthy neighborhood of los angeles if you saw the people versus oj simpson like that's where oj lived and in like the those mansions are just up the street from where this is happening, the reason it's happening here is because there's also the Veterans Administration, like right there, this massive chunk of beautiful land right in the middle of the city that the government's just not doing anything with for years. But yeah, it it just like when you compare the number of like Taco Tuesday parties and barbecues and like things that were were coming together. With, with these people, there's like just so much humanity there and community that you don't see in in those surrounding neighborhoods that are like fighting so hard to to get them out of there in a lot of cases. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, encampments are generally communities. Spend time at, at any given one, you know, anywhere in L.A. And and most often it is a community, you know, and and people have relationships. And um, I think that I think it's easy to underestimate that. And I think, you know, it's hard to understand, like, well, you know, if if you hear something like, oh, somebody, you know, turned down a particular shelter offer, for example, you know, they must be resistant to all help, you know, they must right. be. Um, that just sounds like a totally illogical thing to do. But, um, but a lot of the time, you know, people do have community where you know, they, they make community at often at encampments and, um, and, and most people certainly do want help and they would prefer to live in a house or in some other circumstance, but, but also, you know, you, you can develop ties and, 
relationships and a feeling of community anywhere that you live for a long period of time. And so, you know, sometimes there can be a few steps to finding a solution for somebody that that'll work for them where, you know, they don't necessarily have to give up that feeling. But, and all of that played out at Veterans Row. Veterans Row had its own unique flavor to its community because it was all these unhoused veterans who were in that location for a very specific reason. Like you said, it's because they were right outside of this enormous, huge campus owned and With operated like rotting by, dormitories just like yes it's a super weird place if you're here in la i mean most people you know you, if you don't have a reason to go there you just drive past it and you kind of yeah. are vaguely familiar but it's this huge va campus with a hospital on it and other medical facilities and various things you know that are fully functioning and then it has all these creepy old buildings and open space and a lot of people wonder what is going on there and there's a long backstory that we get into but the important part is the reason it's a VA campus is the land was donated more than a century ago to be a home for veterans. This was at a time when the United States actually had these veterans homes all over the country, these campuses where people returning from like the Civil War and later conflicts could live and see doctors and get health care. So this particular campus was part of that system for a long time, but over time we abolished that system and the VA evolved into what it does today, which is largely healthcare as well as cemeteries benefits. And so this campus really reflects that because it has the medical facilities, but then it has these old remnants of what it once was. Right. And there was, they also lease parts of it out to different entities that have nothing to do with veterans at all, like some schools that have athletic facilities there, which has always been controversial and even led to a lawsuit some years ago mm resulting in a plan, um, the VA, you know, because they were, because the government was given, was, you know, given this land or chosen to be the stewards, I suppose, of this land under these particular stipulations that it be a home for veterans, they ended up um, agreeing some years ago to create new affordable housing there for specifically for homeless veterans. So one of the reasons that this camp formed right outside that property is because a lot of the vets there, they were receiving services at the VA. They maybe landed on the street after trying to get into different VA programs, but also they, by putting up these large tents that they had put up and these flags, they were trying to call attention to this plan that still hasn't come to fruition, although it's underway to build this new housing there. They're trying to, they're trying to let kind of let people know, Hey, this is, we're supposed to be living on this land, but we're, yeah. but we're on the street. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it was, they had this, uh, you know, this connection in common to the, to the land next door. You know, most of them were under the care of doctors on that campus. They sort of brought like a military flair to the encampment on the street with these matching flags that they had. And they had some tour rotations and things like that. So it was a very unique community. Yeah. Well, it's a really, it's a great podcast. Everyone should go listen. You know, we're just scratching the surface here, but it's a, it's a really mind blowing, you know, snapshot of America in all its good and really bad glory on display and like some really, yeah, I, it just surreal ways. Like, the, just, Thank it, you. It, it's a, it, it feels like, yeah, the, the veterans campus just it feels like an Ivy League school that was just left mm. to like just abandoned like decades ago, like and and is just rotting there while people, they're like, we don't we don't have housing for these people. It's it's very surreal. Yeah, very um, strange, very strange place and very interesting dynamics with this camp next door. And then the surrounding neighborhood, as you mentioned, is Brentwood, which is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Los Angeles. So yeah, all of that and how the community interacted with the encampment and the mm. encampment and its relationship to the VA, it was all pretty fascinating. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a tragic situation and some, and some awful things happened, but also, you know, there was, there was a lot of humor in it. I mean, just with the spectacle that it was and the people that would show up. And so, yeah, yeah I the think guy we try to get like, to all of that. 
there's one veteran who's like, I need surgery for my like badly hurt ankle. And a guy shows up and like keeps trying to let him pray over it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It helped like, it definitely feels like 5% better. Can I leave now? And the guy's like, no, 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 let me, let me keep praying over your ankle. And it's just like, right, it was man. just like a small yeah example of these things that would happen all the time where people yeah. would show up with their own very particular ideas about how to help. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of people were drawn to it because it was veterans for different reasons and wanted to help. But a lot of the time, their idea of helping wasn't necessarily connected to what the veterans themselves wanted or needed. Yeah. And I found that very interesting. So that was the other common thread through the whole series is just me trying to sort out who who is helping, who is actually yeah. helping here. Yeah, there were some really good examples though of the of people who were helping by just being like these are humans what would make them feel better <laughs> you know like what like the the person who was a former food company exec who started barbecuing there and like started the regular barbecues just like brought a weaver grill and created a regular kind of community oh, yes. event she did now she also had a very large instagram following that she was documenting all of this for, which I thought was interesting. There were a lot of people that would come to do altruistic things, but also would promote themselves at the same time, sure. um, which I thought was worth pointing out. But, <laughs> but a lot of people, you know, they would look, they would come with like basic stuff, you know, water, food, socks, things like that. And, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, after reporting on this issue for so many years, I feel comfortable saying homelessness is a a big systemic problem in this country that requires big systemic fixes. And so people will often ask me like, well, what should I do as an individual? How can I help? And I just tell them, you know, we'll think about like, what, what do you want to get out of your helping? And, you know, I don't think there's a lot of ways to go wrong unless you're doing something really destructive or or harmful you know i don't think there's a bad way to get engaged because you're not you know you're certainly not going to solve this crisis just on an individual level right and you know i don't think you're probably going to make it worse either but if you i mean yes if you just start with connecting with people on a human level asking them what they need what they'd yeah. like getting to know them that can become hugely hugely impactful if i mean if that's something you're comfortable doing and have the opportunity that can be transformative in somebody's life. If you can just be an yeah. advocate and an ally for that person, because the system around helping them is very under-resourced and understaffed. And so, so that yeah. can be a big way to start. Mm -hmm. So can I just quickly highlight like the immense wisdom in what you just said, which I just yeah. clicked for me, which is like when something is so complicated and intractable, it actually means that basically everything is worth doing. Uh, right. And I mean, that's like, I will carry that with me <laughs> going yeah. forward. I mean, it's such, such a brilliant articulation of how to approach these things. Yeah. And, if you, and it feels like a lot of the stuff that seems intractable and, you know, systemic is, is also the result of under-resourcing. Like in, in this country, there's just a lot of things that haven't been given the resources for decades now that we're seeing the, yeah. the consequences of. So. Yeah. I mean, I can, you know, one example is just, I mean, the, the, you know, the big underlying factor in places like LA, New York City, San Francisco, where we have these large homelessness crises is housing affordability and housing availability. Yeah. When you don't have much of either one, people tend to fall out of the housing market. That doesn't mean that individuals who are experiencing homelessness don't have other issues going on some of the time, you know, other than financial issues or needing next month's rent. But that's the big underlying factor. They all fell out of the housing market at some point in time for all different kinds of reasons. And it's very hard to get back in once that happens. And then once you're on the street, the homelessness crisis overlaps with all these other crises that we have. You know, there are holes in our mental health care system. Meth is ubiquitous on the streets of LA because it, because it is unbelievably cheap. And so I think sometimes people conflate homelessness with mental health crisis or, you know, drug crisis, meth crisis, but they are not one and the same at all. And the big thing when it comes to homelessness is housing affordability, 
housing availability. And um, one of the things that really helped us reduce veteran homelessness over the last decade and a half was putting more resources into essentially the veteran version of Section 8, which are, these are vouchers that provide rental subsidies for low-income people. So if you qualify, you get a voucher, you can take it to a landlord, pay a percentage of your income towards rent, and the federal government will pay the rest. Now, normal Section 8 is very oversubscribed. If you want to get a voucher, even if you qualify, your chances are like one in four, maybe, nationally, and less than that in Los Angeles. There's a there's a huge waiting list. It's it's really hard to get. If you're a veteran who qualifies, you have a much higher chance of getting one of these vouchers because they have their own pool, which which Congress has has been more generous about funding. And um, so those vouchers paired with services provided through the VA are really at the heart of a big push that resulted in a huge decline nationally in veteran homelessness. Oh, since yeah. 2010. So yeah, now fully funding Section 8 for everybody would be enormously expensive. It's not politically popular, right? But but that's like one example of of a big system thing that, you know, we can look at something that worked, at least with this one group of people that's under-resourced when you're talking about the general population. Yeah. All right. Well, Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us about it and for for doing the reporting. Everybody should go check out the show City of Tents, Veterans Row. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about some other stuff. We'll be right back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump. Join Lisa and her hand-selected staff at Chateau Rosabelle, a glamorous estate in the French countryside, as they live, work, and play together 24-7. Vanderpump Villa is where... First-class luxury meets world-class drama. And don't miss the new season of The Kardashians, uh, starring The Kardashians, of course. And season five promises new horizons for the entire Kardashian clan. And if you're looking for steamy streams, check out Grand Cayman Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set on the tropical Caribbean island of Grand Cayman, where the rich come to play. But be warned, it's a small island. And secrets don't stay secret for long. So come check out what's new on Hulu this month. It's streaming now and it's waiting for you on Hulu. And we're back. And we'll probably, we're, the, the Trump thing, I think we all know Trump claimed that he's going to be arrested probably today and has called for his supporters to protest. We talked about it on yesterday's trending. We'll have more updates on this afternoon's trending. Well, so, Jack, it's almost like this is almost like Schrodinger's podcast. Like, right. If the fact that people are hearing this means that things didn't melt down. <laughs> right. And it, because if, if there truly was chaos, you'd probably do an emergency episode. <laughs> yes, of course. All right. But uh, 
For the rest of the episode, I wanted to just run down. Did you guys see the article in New York Magazine that was like the new rules for social etiquette? Mm. It's this like grandiose project. It's got hundreds of rules. They are real hit or miss. And we've just been kind of checking in with the list and talking to our guest co-hosts and guests about about their thoughts on on these things. I think there are a, a few that we feel like could be canon, like should be things that we adopt into our social etiquette, like never tell someone who they look like. Yeah. Is, oh, yes. No. Like it's, it never goes well. that's a good well. one. Never goes People well for you. People always tell me I look like Miranda July, and I find it really annoying. Yeah. It's I don't no, like nobody it. ever likes to hear that. <laughs> like, well, I think never. the someone is the key word there, which is like, this isn't like fodder for small talk with a stranger. I think like, right. if you're a friend, you know, if you had a friend for a while, and like, I mean, a, a good friend of mine actually texted me today and said, what is, he said, I wish I had better news to share, but the, far-right Israeli finance minister is in the news for all the wrong reasons and he looks like a bizarro evil version of you. Yes, and that coming, is fine. Coming from a longtime friend, I'm happy to hear that, but I don't yes. want to hear that from someone who I... No. With, with, yeah. And I always run it through the filter, like, if it's a famous person, it's like, okay, what you're really saying is that I look like this person's less hot cousin, let's be honest. It's like... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. well, it's just never good. It, it, one more thing on this. I know you, this, you were doing this as a throwaway check, but sure. uh, but one more thing about this, which is I think so many of these pieces of etiquette sort of have this through line, which is like, don't do stuff that doesn't set someone else, some set someone up to like respond in a productive way. Like, you know, and a lot and like that, just telling someone who they look like, it's like, what am I supposed There's to no do with good, that information? Yeah. There's no yes and to that, right? It's just yeah. like, okay. Uh, and a lot of the, pieces of advice kind of fall into that category of just like don't say something where think about think about someone's response when you say something and whether they're going to be able to kind of pick it up and totally it. yeah another one that i think is probably solid for everybody to adopt is actually it's great to talk about the weather there was like this un unofficial yeah. agreement in the 90s i think like there were stand-up comedy bits it was like don't talk about the weather it's boring what are you a 50 year old man and it's but we, we live in strange times. The the weather is something that should be fine to talk about. All right. So weather and are, sports are the only two things left. That yeah. You can just kind can of, we start this whole conversation talking about the weather? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. And that's what I, I use this list podcasting. to just guide. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Here's some for discussion. You guys can stop me when you hear one that, that you have some thoughts on. You and Bobby De Niro may go way back, but to everyone else, he's Robert. This is aimed at a very specific like so, so one of the overall notes I have on this list is like the very first item is like you don't have to read all your friends books. And it's like, well, that's like for a very specific group of people <laughs> whose like, friends are constantly publishing. I do know one books. person that's written books. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, so on this one, it's like they're writing specifically to famous people who drop the nicknames or people who are, you know, in the orbit of famous people. This, like, I think it's hilarious when famous people do this. I, it also feels like doing it must be the greatest feeling in the world because of how ridiculous it makes them look and how hard they insist on doing it every time. So it's like, I don't, I don't feel like I can make a full hard judgment on this one because I, I don't know any famous person well enough to try this shit. But man, they really seem to like it. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, but you're saying when you hear an actor refer to, and all my examples are basically Annie, pe people in the Goodfellas. Annie in Hathaway. Goodfellas, or Annie yeah. Hathaway, right. Or like, yeah. or Marty Scorsese. Marty. Right? I feel like it's the one you hear all the time. Yeah. But if it's someone who's worked with them, and it's famous and like that's what they get called on set, then you're okay with that. But if it's like me, uh, I happen to have seen them at a bar or even like sat next to them at a random dinner, I can't I can't switch over to Marty in that case. I'm fine with it. Oh I'm fine okay. with it across the board. I think it I think you should be willing to accept the consequences of your actions when you do that, but I don't I'm just like, that's a, that is a choice, but it's a choice that I'm glad people are out there making. It doesn't necessarily endear me to those people, but it, 
I don't think that's right. their goal either, right? Well, yeah, it must be kind of an awkward thing too. Like, let's say you're a celebrity that's worked with one of these people, you're doing an interview and you want to say something about Robert De Niro, but you know him as Bobby. Like, it, it probably feels just even yeah. more pretentious to say his full name if you actually know this person and have worked with him. Well, me and Robert De Niro, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, I kind of have some empathy for the celebrities on this one. I don't know. I don't. I, I recently I had a sort of like inverse name dropping awkward experience where someone was talking to me about their friend Greta for like a long time. Yes. And then through context clues, I realized that it was Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. And, and they were talking like, about my friend Greta's movie and like going to the, and, and, and I was just like, just, you should have just dropped that name from the beginning and just owned it rather than trying to like overcorrect for not being a name dropper. But it's tough. This stuff is tough. (laughs) Yeah. It's a high class problem to have. Totally. It is very high. It's up there with not, not reading your friends. We're on a podcast dissecting a list from New York magazine. Let's just, let's just be (laughs) upfront about the air in which we are uh, operating here. I had uh we we had Robert Ori, the famous NBA basketball player on our NBA show, and I just called him Robert Ori the whole time. I was yeah. like, "Well, thank you, Robert Ori." For <laughs> you didn't that. call him and Big that, Shot Rob. Yeah, yeah but uh, I think that's also you could also steer really hard into that, and just yeah. anytime you're referring to your friend Bobby, you just say Robert De Niro. Yeah, get it all out there, all right. the way out there. All right, some others never send an edible arrangement. What? <laughs> They're great. They're great. Yeah, yeah. fine. Um. I I don't think this this is a ne- a hard rule. This is not a never. Don't use your friends as foreplay is we is another one of the ones where I felt like I was learning a lot about whoever wrote this one. What does that mean? So that's what it then goes into like a discussion of like friends fighting in front of their friends and like I don't know like I I I had no real world experience to like put it onto i guess like the the assumption is that their friends get horny from fighting with each other in front of them and that is so somehow i oh, i don't know so my main thought is like you got huh. you sick little freak there's a lot of there's it. a lot of nested wow. uh pathology and yeah Stop using me to get horny by yelling at each other when you go out to dinner with me and my wife. Is, I don't hmm. know. I don't. It sounds like very I'm just trying to. to ha- I'm just author. trying to have a dinner in which yes. my friends argue in front of me without it being sexual. Can you <laughs> yes, just exactly. can you just argue, please, and make this a normal dinner where my friends decide to argue in front of me? Yeah. The other example of like, huh? For for me was uh, always wink, always wink. It's just. <laughs> One of the rules, no explanation. Wait, I, I love that rule. Can I tell you a story about a, a buddy of mine who was applying for a job at Home Depot when he was uh, a sophomore in college, maybe junior, or sophomore in high school, maybe junior in high school. And he's going through the interview and he's like super nervous, first ever job. Uh, and the like, you know, the shift manager at Home Depot is like being a kind of like big timing him, you know, during this interview. And he's yeah. peppering him with questions, asking all these questions. And, you know, my, my buddy's trying to answer, be earnest and so forth. And then like three quarters of the way through the interview, he just stare. He looks at my my buddy and goes, "Stop winking at me, son." And my friend just goes, "Okay," but like he hadn't been <laughs> winking at him. He wasn't yeah. trying to do it, but he was just so thrown off that he didn't. He couldn't. He, he couldn't bring himself to like question the premise uh, and be like, "No, what are you talking about?" Or I'm not. He was just like, "Okay," and then he continued. That's like Thanks. one of those Google mindfuck yeah. interview questions, right? Where all right at this point we. Accuse you of winking at us? Accuse the attendee, (laughs) the interviewee of winking at us and see how they respond. You can callously cancel almost any plans up until 2 p.m. Specific. I don't know. Sure. I'm fine with canceling plans. So, yeah, I I won't be mad at you if you cancel plans with me. One of the best feelings in the world. I know. Truly. Like, oh, no. Unless the plans are at 2.30 or something. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then this one is, if your friend is dating someone you seriously object to, you have one chance to sit them down and tell them. This seems like genuinely bad advice because it feels like, like, I can't see how this would be true for purposes other than like you are writing a rom-com screenplay (laughs) and like you're just adding, like, I understand the overall gist of it is like, you don't want to just keep hammering them with criticisms and like, 
you want to do it in a targeted, thoughtful way. But at the same time, like being like, you, you only got one chance. And once you right. do it, it's over and you have to live with the decision that you've made just feels I don't know, like artificial. And and like they wanted to they needed to fill an article full of rules. Sounds very arbitrary. I mean, yeah, I'm more of the mindset that unless someone asks, I'm not going to just yeah. sit them down and tell them my opinion. But it also depends on why you object to the person. Yes. I mean, if you know yes. something egregious about this person or, you know, or they're engaged in really abusive behavior or something like that, then maybe it's appropriate. But if it's just kind of run of the mill, I don't like this person, yeah. then I don't I don't see any yeah. need to have a sit down. I'm, I'm, really yeah, I'm not objecting to this based on me wanting to have the conversation. Like, I <laughs> do not like conversations like this. I'm not going to be the person who's like keeps bringing this up. But it just it does feel like sometimes you just got to help your friend. Like you have to. Sounds like you're trying to like universalize something and make yes. a rule about something that's kind of just very dependent on the situation. Yeah. Look, I know this is the second time we've talked about this, but I need you and your wife to stop trying to get horny by arguing in front of me. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it, it, you know, to your to your point, and I mean, I you know, that is the exercise I think, and they're very like upfront, and it's why I loved this list is they're just gonna, you know, we're gonna just throw a bunch of very specific and sometimes very outrageous things out there and let the internet talk about it, and yeah, it, it certainly let, did, but I respect yeah. that. It felt like a like a very 10 years ago kind of project yeah <laughs> in that way. absolutely and it worked and it like, worked here we yeah. are all right well anna such a pleasure having you on the show where can people find you follow you all that good stuff thank you for having me i'm on twitter at anna scott journo short for journalist and you can find my podcast city of tents colon veterans row anywhere all the usual places apple spotify stitcher etc. Yeah. 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 And that's a great one. Go check it out, everyone. Mm -hmm. um, is there a tweet or a work of media that you've been enjoying? I will say there is a work of media that I'm really looking forward to enjoying um, because I've been listening to a ton of podcasts in, you know, working on one, I want to get inspiration from other good ones. And I see that the Atlantic has a new one hosted by Van Newkirk, who, and they did the amazing Floodlines podcast some years ago about Hurricane Katrina, and they have another one called Holy Week, which also takes a historic event and puts new eyes on it. And I'm super excited about it. So I don't, they don't need my help promoting it, but I just feel like I'm, yeah. I'm so excited about it that I'm just talking about it everywhere. Amazing. Jody, such a pleasure having you as yeah. always. Uh, where can people find you? And is there a work of media you've been enjoying? I'll, I'll mostly plug this new series that um, is coming out right now called Good Sport, which is an eight episode series about sports, but not really mostly about kind of um, how sports can help us understand some bigger things. And it's um, wherever you get your podcast, Good Sport. But I'm very happy with um, how it's coming out and the reception it's gotten so far. So, yeah, go ahead and check that out. And then in terms of media, well, mine is sort of nested. So I've been really, really just like binging um this podcast called the rest is history nonstop, which is you know two historians british historians and they just sort of go deep on history it's nothing nothing mind-blowing about the format but it's just really good chemistry and really sort of thoughtful um and funny but they did a series on the rise of hitler and the rise of the nazis and in that they kind of shouted out a number of times a netflix series called berlin babylon which is set in like 30s and early 40s uh, Berlin. And so now I've jumped from the podcast to this recommendation to this Netflix series, Berlin Babylon, which is, is it a really docu-series or no, it's like a, a, no, it's a, dramatic... it's a scripted series. Yeah. Cool. Um, and it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's really good. Amazing. It's German, but it's, you know, it's really good. Awesome. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. Uh, I'm still out here liking tweets like it's three years ago. Uh, Trash Jones tweeted, if at first you don't succeed, think about it for the rest of your life when you're trying to fall asleep. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. 
Super producer Justin Connor, what is a song that you think people might enjoy? So I'm not going to be here tomorrow, so it's up to Jack or Brian or whoever takes over for me to continue the string of hits that have been coming, <laughs> the, the pressure's on. Uh, but this track is by a composer, singer, and multi-instrumentalist from Toronto who goes by the name River Tiber. Uh, this guy can really sing and lay down some interesting harmonies. The beat was made by Kate Trinata, who I love. I'm a huge fan of his work, but this one is an underrated top five for me. So this song is Gravity by River Tiber, and and you can find that song in the footnotes. Footnotes. The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for us this morning. Back this afternoon to tell you what is trending, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye. Here's something you might not know about wireless. Sometimes what you see isn't what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 per month, taxes and fees included. Switch now at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zeit gang, you like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama, a new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu.